Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to the show. Hello, hello. We're going to have Sean Scanlon on in the next hour. He is our state comptroller. We're also going to do a little bit of Lisa on the law. But if you missed it, we just did a pretty um, revealing, extensive interview with Gretchen Carlson, uh, former lead journalist of Fox and Friends, who really began a second career as an advocate for change, very successfully so. And this, you know, this issue we've talked about a lot on our show for many years now, these non-disclosure agreements, these forced arbitration agreements. I, I hate them. I hate them all. And I the reason I hate them is because a contract – by definition, when you go to law school and you learn about something called consideration in a contract, and we're not doing lease on the law right now, but I'll do a little preview anyway. I'll just put my lawyer Lisa hat on. A contract, in order for a contract to work, it has to have something called consideration. That magical thing, which is the thing that is at stake, that is the bargaining chip between the two people. And very often the consideration is money, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes a contract can be for bartering services. But the idea is that one person is giving up something, one person is receiving something, and giving up something in exchange for receiving. That idea is called consideration. And the reason that contracts are supposed to be enforceable is because they're supposed to presume equal bargaining power, right? Because, you know, we have this general thing that says that, for example, classically, right? If I have put a gun to your head, and make you sign away something, is that enforceable in a court of law? No, no. Why not? Obviously not, because you're not voluntarily signing a contract. You're signing it because you have a gun to your head. So this idea is that contracts ought to be between people of relatively equal bargaining power in order for them to be enforceable. Now, the reason I can't stand these forced arbitration clauses, these NDAs, is because in most circumstances, with rare exceptions, when you are becoming employed, you don't have equal bargaining power. You want the job more than they want you. That's just the reality. You remember defending your life with Albert Brooks, that great, great scene where he talks himself into trying to ask for a raise and he gives himself all these pep talks in the mirror 
And then in the end, when he's in front of his boss, he says, I'll take it. I mean, that's the way people are. They'll take it. And, of course, there are rare exceptions. There are people that are CEOs that are represented by these placement agencies and these fancy recruiting agencies. And maybe there is more equal bargaining power in those circumstances. So, okay. But the vast majority of people, when they're signing a contract or they're becoming employed, they just want the job. They don't, they don't have the equal bargaining power to negotiate the fine print. And then the other places where these forced arbitration agreements are, are even worse. If you want to open up an account with Schwab, with Fidelity, with any of these, just a stock brokerage account, in the very fine print, you need eyeglasses. I'm talking about magnifying glasses to see the fine print. It tells you that if you have any dispute about anything that is going on with your broker or the brokerage, you do not have the right to go into a court of law. You do not have the right to choose between arbitrating or going into the court of law. You waive your right as a citizen to go into a court of law, and you agree to abide by the terms of the securities arbitration rules. Securities arbitration, which is distinct from other kinds of arbitration in the sense that it's its own little world, means that the arbitrator is somebody who was either chosen by the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. And by definition, the arbitrators get paid by these institutions, the members of whom are the people that you as a consumer are fighting against. So you have a problem with your stockbroker. Okay, you have a problem with your stockbroker. And you're into securities arbitration. And let's say you're in front of the New York Stock Exchange. The New York Stock Exchange chooses the arbitrators. They choose all three. Those arbitrators get paid by the New York Stock Exchange. And your broker works for a company that works at the New York Stock Exchange, that pays membership fees to the New York Stock Exchange. And if those arbitrators continue to find in favor of investors, they're not going to be chosen too often to be the arbitrators in the next arbitrating proceeding. And that's how they get paid, because they're professional arbitrators. Not only that, but in arbitration, they do not have to issue a written decision about why they decided to decide what they decide. And because they don't have to issue a written decision, they have no accountability for what they decide. And, and they are not appealable on the substance of what they decide. They are only appealable about the process of how it was decided, which means it's almost virtually impossible to appeal what they do. And, and here's the real kicker, because they don't have to issue a written reason for why they decide what they decide, very often they don't follow the law. They're not required to follow the law. And nobody is holding them accountable for not following law. So I'll give you an example. And do you think I know this pretty well? I know this because it happened in my family. Many years ago, a member of my family had a stockbroker. And the stockbroker required a power of attorney to be signed for purposes of trading the stocks. And that was done. This person represented many different customers. This person, uh, let's call him Sam. That wasn't his name. He turned out to be a compulsive gambler. And so what he did was, unbeknownst to my family member, um, he traded away and he invested people's pension funds in options that expired worthless, which is a fancy way of saying that he lost all their money. And uh, he lost all their money. And it, it all evaporated very quickly. 
There were 13 different people affected by this, including a family member, friend of mine. I mean, a family member of mine. And so what happened was Sam worked for a brokerage firm. And the brokerage firm said, Sam isn't our problem. Sam is your problem because you allowed him to have a power of attorney. But all the clients said, what are you talking about? He works for you according to your rules and laws. We didn't know that he was a gambler. You're the one that was supposed to know he was a gambler. He's, he's, he's working for you. He's trading. Where you, we're not there. You're there. And you're requiring us to sign a power of attorney so he can trade for us. What's this about? Guess what? It went to securities arbitration, and the customers all lost. They all lost. Not only didn't they get money back, but this guy was such a compulsive gambler that he gambled them into what they call margin territory. And so the brokerage firm said to all these people, you owe us money. And they won. They won. Now, you want to know what was so terrible about that in addition to the injustice and inequity? Pension funds, by law, are not allowed to be invested in options. By law. By law, pension funds are not a suitable investment for any options trading. So as soon as the arbitrator saw what this broker had done, all of the customers should have won if they were following the law because it was an unsuitable vehicle for investment by law. Pension funds are not allowed to be invested in risky investments like options. It didn't matter. The arbitrators did not have to follow the law. And there was no appealing. And so all the 13 people, this happened quite a while ago, but I know this to be true. They all lost. And then the brokerage firm went after them for the rest of their money. It was a horror scene. So Gretchen Carlson never needs to convince me that compulsory arbitration clauses, as far as I'm concerned, all of them, all of them should be in the toilet and on toilet paper because you never have any equal bargaining when it comes to this. And what you don't realize is that you are, you are saying whatever rights I might have at law don't count because I have no forum in which anybody has to follow the law. And it's really an outrageous evasion of what our civil rights are. So, and, you know, Gretchen Carlson is specifically starting with sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. But you heard her. She wants to go after racial discrimination, uh, employment harassment of any kind, retaliation, retaliatory tactics. She's on to something. And I would expand it further and say that much of the compulsory arbitration system we have, and particularly securities arbitration, is grossly unfair as it's set up right now. 203-333-9422. Okay. Um, And that isn't even our Lisa on the Law. We're going to do Lisa on the Law later. But that was just a little bit of a preview of what Lisa on the Law could be. At two zero three 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 nine four two two, I want to give you some headlines of some other stories. Uh, there, um, Fairfield University is hosting its own alcohol counter events in order to pull students from the Santa Con Beach party. Uh, apparently, they offered up two party alternatives this weekend to lessen the Santa Con drunken impact, and uh, we know that one of the bigger impacts of this was all the trash that was littered along the beach. 
Though not officially attached to the university, school officials organized two events of their own for the first time on Saturday afternoon to try and encourage students to go there instead of to SantaCon. They wanted to, quote, reduce disruption and provide a safer environment. And they said that about 200 students attended each event. But a series of fights broke out among the SantaCon crowd. Fairfield police said it was so large it limited their ability to respond to incidents throughout the day. Lieutenant Ed Nook said officers in the beach area Saturday handed out 11 infractions for actions including public urination. That's always lovely. And open container violations, disorderly conduct, and one man was arrested for trespassing. 17 people were brought to the hospital, 15 for intoxication and two for injuries. And you know what this is really. um, Obviously, kids sometimes get out of control. And nobody wants to see that. But it is extremely foreseeable and predictable that they're going to make a terrible mess. So here's what it is, Fairfield University. You want to be a good neighbor? We know it's not a university-sanctioned event. It doesn't matter. You don't tell the kids that they have to show up to volunteer to clean up Sunday morning. You tell everybody you're out by 4, you're out by 4.30, you're out by 5. And the cleanup crew comes to the beach then and there so that the tides don't wash out the garbage. It's as simple as that. We love you. We're happy you're here, Fairfield University. You're an asset to the community without question, without question. And kids act out, and they do. We don't want anybody to, you know, get really, really hurt, but you're never going to be able to prevent teenagers and college kids from doing a little bit of rowdy nonsense. But it doesn't mean the rest of the community needs to live with the junk and the trash when we all know where it comes from. And if you can't get the kids themselves to clean up, shame on you. Then you bring in your professional trash people at 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon of SantaCon. So this never happens again. So the fish and the geese don't have to get tangled and choked and all the plastic crap that is left on the beach. There's no excuse for it. You know it's your kids. We know it's your kids. Take some money out of your budget and clean it up. And don't wait until Sunday morning. Easy peasy. Seriously. Like a no-brainer. Kids themselves are not going to be responsible. That's too bad. There ought to be a way to encourage them with a shove to clean up their own mess. And it doesn't say much for this generation that they don't understand the ecological impact of leaving trash on a beach. Aren't they the ones that are supposed to be caring about climate change? But, you know, sometimes drunken kids do what drunken kids do and they don't care. They just want to live in the moment. They don't care. They want to throw away their crap. That's fine. Police get them off the beach by 5 o'clock. And then clean up. Clean up your mess. Don't wait till Sunday morning. Who thought that Sunday morning was a good idea? Tides are coming in and out all Saturday night. Ken from Westport, you're on the air. Hi, Ken. You got about a minute. What's on your mind? Ken, I can't hear you. Ken, you there? Hi. Hola. Hi, Ken. Yes, uh, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, uh, I was at... Sacred Heart uh, Sunday uh, in Fairfield there on Park Ave. And, I, you know, because of my job. And then I saw an empty parking spot. It looks like probably one of the college students just, like, took their, like, uh, fast food, McDonald's or whatever, just do it in the parking lot. And, like, a lot of other stuff, too. And they just, like, guess they expect the people that uh, work there, like custodians or whatever, to clean it up. And, and, mess, you're, you know? and, you're, and your thought was that's gross and entitled behavior, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a nice university. It's like, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. there's garbage cans and, you know, yeah. 
You can't just like leave it in your car and just throw it in a garbage can when you're when you're done. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? It's about good manners, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I agree that's, with that's you, all. Ken. That's it. That's the point. That's the point. Exactly. Kids, clean up your messes, make your beds in the morning, and if we don't have to see your bedroom, that's one thing. But if we get to see your mess on the beach, that affects us, right? That affects exactly. us. Clean up your mess. Take your McDonald's and put it in a trash can. I'll talk to you again. All right. Thanks, Ken. And you know what? I also don't want to see the vomit on neighbors' houses. Like, that's another thing that I heard about. That's another conversation. Try not to throw up on my lawn. All right. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be right back in the next hour. Uh, For more, Sean Scanlon, who is the comptroller, will be here. Wayne Winston is with us. We talk about issues of race. We mix it up at 1130. And we're going to do Lisa on the law soon, too. So stick around. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so I started talking about law and arbitration in the last hour, but that really wasn't officially what I wanted to talk about with Lisa on the Law today. Uh, so... Um, but I'll let you call in if you like at 203-333-9422. And we have Gloria, who actually is just calling in right now from Westport, because I think Gloria wanted to either discuss or ask a question about arbitration. Gloria, go ahead, please. Hi. Good morning. Gloria, are you turn there? Off the radio. Yeah, let me turn off the radio. Yeah, turning off the radio is a good idea. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, please send my best to your mom. Send her love and kisses. I will. Uh, Okay, I'm calling because I have an interesting story about arbitration. Uh, It has to do with Cablevision, and I don't know if anybody out there has it. I'm sure some people do. Yearly, they send you uh, information in teeny, teeny print uh, covering a million things that uh, you don't half understand what they're talking about. Well, one is arbitration, and I read it, and they said you can opt out of it. I've been trying for years to opt out of it. I've spoken to so many people in the company back and forth, and they make it impossible for you to do so. Wow. I've never been able to to get out of it. I'm going to try again this year. Um, They say that you can opt out of the cable television compulsory arbitration provisions in case you have a dispute with them? Yes, and I have a dispute, which I wasn't even going to dispute. say anything. Oh, yeah. Okay. But this is, I just wanted, in general, this is before any of this happened that I'm going to tell you about. I just felt it's to my benefit to opt out. Yeah. It well, is for your benefit to opt out. Work with somebody who it is in their favor. It is. So anyway, they have came. they came out here once with their big truck, and backing out, they... Uh, broke a huge outdoor decorative planter, really, really big one, and they broke it. All right. Uh, then when they came in and they did work in the house, they broke one of my phones. 
they literally, the tape that I gave them, the Yes for Tape, it's still on there. Oh. They cracked the, the phone. It's a landline phone. And uh, last but not least, um, they broke a TV. Oh, that's not and, very nice. And you no. told them and they don't want to pay for it? I haven't bought. I haven't even been able to get to anybody to you know. Oh yeah, this, good luck with that. It's true. I'm not even asking for them to pay. I just literally want to opt out of arbitration. Okay, and they make it impossible they to do. do so. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Gloria. Any suggestions? Any suggestions about what to do with cable vision? Well, you know, the truth is they're, they're hemorrhaging people, and I, I would think that they would try and do anything to keep you. you but the think. problem is, one of the reasons they're hemorrhaging people is that customer service is the pits. It's horrible. Yeah. Can't get anybody on the phone. Oh, I can. I know a trick. Well, then get I'm somebody afraid, on the I'm, phone. I'm afraid to give it out because if everybody does it, I'll never be able so, to use it. But so, I will tell you personally. I'll right. tell you later. I'll email you. So when you get somebody on the phone, that's how you have to ask what to do to opt out. I mean, you know what to oh, do. I've done that. You're more, I've done you're, that. Yeah, you're better than I am at this, Gloria. I don't have the effort, I, the I energy did. to do this kind of I've stuff. I've done that, and I was supposed to get called back. So it doesn't. They don't. Okay. I don't have any help for you, sweetheart. All right, I'm going to move on. Have a great day. All right, bye, sweetie. Um, All right, listen, so I wanted to talk a little bit about something different because this is um, an area that is not necessarily common to all 50 states. And there's a shortcut for it. It's called a PJR, prejudgment remedy. It sounds exactly what it is. It is a remedy that if somebody is suing you, that they can get against you even if they have not gotten a judgment against you. In other words, they get to make sure that your assets are secured and reserved and ready to pay them even if even if you claim you don't owe them that money and no judge or jury has awarded you that money, has awarded them that money. That's why it's called a pre-judgment remedy. And Connecticut has a lot of so, so the way it works in Connecticut, and the reason I'm talking about this today is because there was a story in the news last week that former Stone Academy students who were suing the now-closed-down nursing school for damages got a $5 million prejudgment remedy from a judge. David uh, Slosberg represents the plaintiffs, said, quote, we think this is a really good step. And the judge is Judge Barbara Bellis, a very well-respected judge. She used to be in Bridgeport. And she uh, said that they could have the $5 million PJR. And what that means is that the defendants have to put aside $5 million, which would be guaranteed to be able to pay the plaintiffs should the case be won by a jury. And this happens to be a case about what happens when a school closes and students' lives are turned upside down. But what I wanted to explain to you is that this pre-judgment remedy, this idea of a PJR, is not uncommon. And it happens in a lot of different cases. For example, and this is, happens to be a probate case that I was involved with. So, for example, uh, in a probate case in which uh, I, as a judge, found that somebody had abused a power of attorney and that the abuse of a power of attorney of somebody who was infirm, who had dementia, was egregious, and therefore the person had to pay back the money because the judgment was that she had taken the money and spent it on herself and her family to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars. And the person spent the money and bought herself a new house. What happened was that she hasn't paid the money that the probate court ordered her to pay, 
and the case is on appeal in Superior Court. She's claiming that the judge, in my case me, was wrong and she doesn't owe the money. The other side is claiming, wait a minute, wait a minute, Your Honor. We have a ruling from a probate judge and we're afraid that with time of this appeal that she will spend the money or sell her house and move out of town. And we know that that money was used to buy this house. Your Honor, we have to figure out a way to reserve that money to pay us in case we win. So the Superior Court judge said, yes, you can have a PJR on the house, a prejudgment remedy. I don't know how much it was. I don't know if it was for the whole judgment or part of the judgment. And the law in Connecticut is very simple. If a judge believes that there's probable cause to believe that somebody will win, they can attach your property, your house, your bank account, your property in Connecticut can be attached, can be leaned and wait there for years sometimes until the outcome of the civil case. Now, that can strike terror into hearts of people who say, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. I can't believe just because they sue me, they can get a PJR. Well, they have to be able to go into court and show probable cause. What is probable cause? Over 50%. Does it mean necessarily that the person will lose, right? No, not necessarily. But in this case, Judge Barbara Bellis has taken a look at these facts and she said, I think there's a pretty good chance these nursing students are going to prevail. And in the case that I'm telling you about, in the case of this exploitation of a power of attorney, this misuse, abuse of a power of attorney, the Superior Court judge took a look at the facts and said, I think there's a pretty good chance that this is going to be sustained on appeal, that this woman is going to be held to be responsible. And so on the basis of that pretty good chance, that probable cause, that house is attached, this $5 million is attached, person cannot sell the house with a lien like this on it. With a PJR, that clouds title. It means that that house cannot be sold until that PJR is lifted, and that PJR will not be lifted until there is a resolution of the underlying dispute. This is a very powerful tool. Not every state has this. Connecticut is one of some states that have this. It's called a prejudgment remedy, a PJR. And it's one of the first things that a plaintiff will do in a civil lawsuit is if they think they have a really good case, they'll be very afraid that the defendant is going to run out of town with money or become judgment-proof or fraudulently convey to somebody else. So they'll go into court and they'll say, Your Honor, here's why I think I'm going to win. And if they can persuade a judge, again, this is not a trial. There's not a lot of evidence at this point. It is prejudgment. It is at the beginning of the case. But if they can persuade a judge that there is more likelihood than not that they will prevail, the judge will grant the prejudgment remedy. The marshal will pin something on that house, on that asset, on that bank account, and that money cannot be spent, cannot be transferred. It's over. And what does that do? Well, that's a very strong inducement to settle. Because things happen in life, and defendants are like, jeez, you've already basically said that I lost the case even though I never had a trial. Yeah, that's the way it goes in Connecticut. Very important tool in civil litigation. I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be back with Wayne Winston in just a moment. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 